You're listening to Rounding at Rush, a Rush University Medical Center podcast that features the latest clinical advances, research, and innovations. I'm your host, Dan Dean. Joining the podcast today is Dr. Hassam Sarati, an interventional cardiologist who specializes in treating patients with complex coronary and peripheral artery disease. He is fellowship trained in structural heart interventions and is skilled in treating patients with heart valve conditions such as tight or leaky valves and those who are born with heart defects. He is the director of the Cardiac Catheterization Lab and the Structural Hybrid Lab at Rush. Today's conversation will center around his and Rush's use of catheter-based approaches in treating structural heart diseases, along with promising new developments with catheter-based interventions that are on the way. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sarati. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. To set the stage for our conversation, can you provide an overview of the conditions you and Rush treat when you employ the use of transcatheter approaches? Of course. So at Rush, we specialize in the treatment of a variety of different structural heart conditions that we use cutting-edge transcatheter approaches. These interventions mainly involve like minimally invasive procedures uh, uh, that we do perform through catheters, avoiding the need for patients to go for open heart surgery. Some of the conditions that we we treat, they can be divided into valvular heart disease and congenital heart disease. Some examples of valvular heart disease that we treat include aortic stenosis, which is a common condition where the valve aortic valve does not open uh, as it should, restricting blood flow from the heart to the rest of the body. One of the common procedures that we perform to treat this condition is uh, transcatheter aortic valve replacement, or what we call TAVR, which we perform utilizing advancement of a valve through the femoral artery to replace the older damaged valve. Another common condition that we treat is uh, mitral regurgitation. This is a condition where the mitral valve fails to close properly and causes the blood to leak backwards to into the left atrium. So some of the treatment options that we can provide patients with are catheter edge-to-edge repair or transcatheter mitral valve replacement, and we can talk more about it uh, later on. Another common condition is tricuspid regurgitation, which is similar to mitral regurgitation. The blood leaks backwards into the right atrium. This is a very exciting field uh, nowadays within the structural field where there's a lot of new innovations to treat this condition. So this is mainly uh, related to the valvular heart disease. When it comes to congenital heart disease, these are the birth defects that affect the structure of the heart. And some examples of that include the atrial septal defects or what we call patent foramina valley and ventricular septal defects. These are congenital heart defects where there's abnormal openings between the different heart chambers. And there are a variety of transcatheter techniques that we can uh, use to close these defects and reducing the risk of complications. So this was just a few examples of some of the conditions that we address in our structural heart center here at Rush. So I thought we could go and sort of break these down one by one, starting with TAVR, which is a technology that's been around for about 20 years to treat the aortic valve. You know, initially it was met with some skepticism, but now it's moving toward being a mainline therapy. So can you briefly talk about where that technology has evolved to today? 
You are absolutely right, Dan. Uh, Taver has indeed come a long way since its inception two de decades ago when Dr. Alan Cribier did the first Taver in France in 2003. As you said, initially it was met with a lot of skepticism. However, Taver has evolved nowadays into a mainline therapy to treat patients with aortic stenosis, and it has revolutionized the way that we approach aortic valve interventions. In the early stages, Tever was really primarily reserved for high-risk patients. These are the patients who cannot go for traditional open-heart surgery. But nowadays, Tever is being performed routinely on lower-risk patients, as clinical data have demonstrated the durability and effectiveness of, of these valves over extended periods of time as compared to surgery. The design of the uh, transcatheter heart valve has also shown significant improvements that enhance the function and durability of these valves that contributed to better patient outcomes. Also, the procedural techniques, the way that we do these procedures have become more refined. This allowed more smoother and more precise delivery of the transcatheter valve. All of this has led to reduced procedural times where it takes us really about an hour to perform the TAVR procedure. And most of the time we do, we do it with minimal sedation without the need for general anesthesia. This resulted in better outcomes for our patients, much faster patient recovery as most patients go home the next day. So who might be an ideal candidate for a TAVR procedure? So the decision uh, for TAVR or surgical aortic valve replacement, what we say SAVR, uh, is typically made by a multidisciplinary heart team. This team mainly consists of cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, and other specialists uh, who come together. We meet regularly on a weekly basis to review each patient's uh, data and uh, determine what's the best uh, treatment approach for, for these patients. The team really looks at a variety of factors. This includes patient's age, overall health, uh, their anatomy, is there any uh, coexisting cardiac conditions. And that way, we determine what's the most appropriate treatment approach. The goal is really to provide individualized care that would optimize the outcomes for each patient. But in general, if we look at the guidelines regarding the decision to go for TAVR or SAVR, is really primarily driven by the age and the surgical risk of each patient. In general, for younger patients, we generally prefer surgery uh, over TAVR as patients can have a mechanical valve, which we know is more durable as we expect these younger patients will need multiple interventions over their life course. But on the other hand, this comes at the expense of needing to be on lifelong anticoagulation. With the success of TAVR, could you talk about how, I think especially for the older population, how it's reducing some formerly open procedures to more interventional ones? So historically, the only option to treat these patients with aortic stenosis has been only open-heart surgery. And there's no doubt that the success of TAVR has led to a significant reduction in the use of SAVR over the past five years, specifically over the past five years. And this is when several clinical data have emerged that show that TAVR is as good as surgery. And in some data, they even were better than surgery, uh, especially in the lower risk population. This has led to wider adoption of the guidelines to rec recommend TAVR over SAVR. Also, the less invasive nature of TAVR has made it a very attractive option for both physicians and patients. This translated into a much faster recovery and quicker return to normal activities for our patients. It is important to know that really TAVR should not be seen as a competitor for SAVR. These two should be complementary. 
In fact, many of our cardiac surgeons colleagues and even nationally, they are all now trained in doing TAVRs and we routinely do these procedures together, which have improved not only the safety of the procedure, but also the outcomes for our patients. There are a couple of clinical trials I wanted to ask you about that are going on around TAVR. So first is the Alliance trial, which is studying the fifth generation of the Edwards valve, and then the PROGRESS trial, which is studying patients with moderate aortic stenosis. Who do you talk about the potential impact that these trials will have around trans-aortic valve replacement? Yes. Um, first, let me explain what these trials are uh, all about. So let's start with the Alliance trial. The Alliance trial is a new study that is studying the safety and efficacy of the newest generation of the Edwards valve. This is the fifth generation. Uh, and this valve is called the Sapien X4. The main enhancement of this valve is really the change in the technology of the valve leaflets. The valve leaflets that is used in this valve is treated with a special anti-calcification technology, uh, which, we, which is called Resilia. This technology has been studied on the surgical valves previously, and it has shown improvement in the leaflet's durability. This has very important implications. As you know, the average lifespan of a bioprosthetic valve is in the range of 10 to 15 years. So improving the technology to last longer will be extremely important, specifically in our younger population. And as we are moving towards our younger population, these valves need to last longer, and this is what's hoped for by uh, this uh, Resilia technology. In addition to that, the, the nice feature about uh, this fifth generation, the Sapien X4, is it also includes a new system which will provide more precise valve sizing relative to the patient's valve anatomy, and uh, therefore it would also improve the safety and the easiness of performing the procedure. On the other hand, the PROGRESS trial is looking into something else. It's looking into expanding the TAVR clinical indications. This trial is uh, exploring the role of doing TAVR in patients with moderate aortic stenosis. As you know, currently only perform TAVR on patients with severe aortic stenosis. And there has been really very limited data on patients with moderate aortic stenosis. So this study is specifically looking to study those who have symptoms and have moderate aortic stenosis. So for example, we don't really know what's the best treatment for patients who have moderate aortic stenosis who have poor cardiac function. This trial will help us and answer uh, some of these questions. And if successful, this can lead to broader indications for uh, TAVR and it would influence changing the clinical practice guidelines and make TAVR more accessible to a larger group of patients. Are you excited about the direction for both of these trials, like in, as in terms of the future of the way TAVR is going? Absolutely, yeah. This is will only uh, enhance this technology and the safety and efficacy of doing these procedures on our patients. Definitely, progress is going to really answer a lot of uh, questions that we don't really know much about in the current stage. Of note, we just completed enrollment in this trial, and we're looking forward to the results of uh, the progress trial over the next couple of years. And we were excited that at Rush, we've been part of these trials, and uh, we've been very active in enrolling patients in these trials. So let's switch gears and talk about TIR, or transcatheter edge-to-edge repair, which has transformed the treatment of primary and secondary mitral regurgitation. Could we first talk about how the recommended guidelines for treating mitral regurgitation has caused the use of TIR to greatly increase over the past decade? 
Mitral regurgitation is really the most common valvular heart disease, and it's largely untreated uh, due to the complexity and the high-risk nature of surgery needed to repair or replace the valve. So there's a really a large unmet clinical need for a less invasive treatment approach. As you mentioned, TEAR, what, it stands for transcatheter edge-to-edge -edge repair, and it is minimally invasive procedure where we treat the mitral regurgitation by creating a, a connection between the two leaflets of the mitral valve. There are currently two TEAR systems approved in the U.S. Uh, one of them is called MitraClip from Abbott, and the other one is Pascal from Edwards. In the beginning, MitraClip was only approved for patients with primary mitral regurge who are at high risk for surgery. These are the patients who primarily have problem with their uh, mitral valve leaflets. Subsequently, with the positive outcomes from the co-opt trial, uh, this has resulted in expanding the clinical indication for patients who would benefit from this technology. The co-opt trial was a trial that studied patients with heart failure who have secondary or what we call functional mitral regurg, and those patients were randomized into receiving the mitral clip therapy on top of optimal medical therapy as compared to just medical therapy. And this has shown uh, significantly better survival and outcomes compared to medical therapy alone. This trial has really resulted in the guidelines to strongly recommend uh, TIR for this patient population and in turn has led to growth in the number of TIR performed. So could we break down who might be an ideal candidate or an ideal patient for a tier procedure? Just as with TAVR, we discussed that we use a multidisciplinary approach uh, to identify the patients who would benefit from this technology. The same thing is, applies to MitraClip or TIR in general. But in general, as I said, we divide patients with mitral regurgitation depending on the etiology of their mitral regurgitation. Is it primary or secondary? Generally, patients qualify for TIR if they have symptomatic mitral regurgitation due to a primary leaflet abnormality and they are considered to be a high risk for surgery. Patients with heart failure and who have secondary or functional mitral regurg, these patients qualify for TIR if they fail medical therapy, regardless of their surgical risk. And these patients are very closely followed up with, uh, with our heart failure colleagues. Additionally, one, one important thing also to consider is the anatomy of the mitral valve. The anatomy should be suitable for the TIR procedure. Roughly about one-third of patients are not considered suitable for TIR due to a variety of anatomical reasons, such as uh, small valve size, heavy calcification that involves the valve, or restricted leaflet movement that makes grasping the leaflet very difficult. And I wanted to ask you about a clinical trial that Rush was participating in, which is the Apollo trial. And I'm wondering first if you could give us a, kind of a brief overview of that trial. Absolutely. This is a trial that we're very excited to have here at Rush. Uh, as we just discussed, many patients with mitral regurgitation, about one-third of them, really do not qualify for TIR for a variety of anatomical reasons. So for those patients, TMVR, uh, what stands for transcatheter mitral valve replacement, is a potential option. And this trial is called the Apollo trial. It is a TMVR trial that where we use the entropid valve from Medtronic to replace the mitral valve percutaneously for those who are not a good candidates for TIR. This valve is introduced through a small incision in the groin. We go through the femoral vein, and then we implant a valve inside uh, the mitral valve where it anchors into the leaflets. 
Of note, this trial is not only limited to patients with mitral regurgitation. Actually, we can also enroll patients with mitral stenosis who have heavy calcification that involves their uh, mitral annulus. This is going to be a groundbreaking trial that if successful, hopefully will fulfill a huge unmet clinical need for our patients with mitral valve disorder. One initial finding with the Intrepid valve is that TMVR can eliminate regurgitation entirely in the Apollo trial. So how exactly does that work? You're absolutely right. And this is a very important finding. Recently, actually about a month or two months ago, the one-year early feasibility study of uh, the Intrepid valve was published where they have shown that there's high procedural success rate with low mortality rate and excellent mitral valve uh, function, which basically there was complete elimination of regurgitation at one year. On the other hand, with TIR, what we do is we, we repair the valve. So we are commonly left with some residual mitral regurgitation. Most of the time, it's in the mild to moderate range. However, with replacing the valve completely through the intrepid valve, there's almost complete elimination. It was as high as 98% in one year, the patient had no mitral regurgitation. So, and, and, and this makes sense. You know, with TMVR, what we do is the whole valve is replaced where the incidence of residual regurgitation is very low. And this is unlike what we get with the tier procedure. Could you also touch on on how some of the potential safety concerns for the trial can be overcome so that the intrepid valve could be used as a competitive therapy? One of the main concerns with the intrepid valve is the risk of what we call left ventricular outflow tract obstruction. When this valve is implanted across the mitral valve, there is a part of it that overhangs within the ventricle, and this might block the blood flow to the aortic valve, which can be catastrophic. This is why all patients who we evaluate for this trial, they undergo a rigorous screening process and CT evaluation uh, where we in- that would include placing simulated valves in the anatomy to determine if the, this LV outflow tract obstruction would be an issue. And as a matter of fact, if this is an issue, then these patients will be excluded from the trial. It's interesting that with the trial that I mentioned, with the early feasibility study uh, that was published uh, earlier, the incidence of this uh, catastrophic LV outflow tract obstruction was very low. This is because due to the uh, rigorous screening process and uh, very careful CT evaluation to select the appropriate patients for this trial. So we're going to shift gears uh, one last time in our conversation today and shift to TTVR. So I'm wondering if we could first talk about the treatments that are currently available for patients with tricuspid regurgitation. As you know, tricuspid regurgitation is also a very common valve abnormality where the tricuspid valve fails to close properly. This causes blood to leak backwards uh, towards the right atrium. And uh, this problem is is actually very common and is more frequently present in our older and frail patients. Tricuspid valve has always been uh, described as the forgotten valve, uh, as there were limited treatment options available apart from open heart surgery and medical therapy, which mainly involves diuretics. As I said, most of our these patients are older and frail, and obviously they can be, uh, they're not uh, a good fit for surgery because of their age and co- comorbidities. Currently, there are several transcatheter therapies to repair or replace the valve that research. Some examples of these include the triclip device, trick valve, and the evoke. Uh, and several others, as I said, uh, they are still in clinical research phase and hopefully within the next year 
or two, we're going to have some of these options available for our patients. The Triluminate trial is looking at a promising therapy, the Triclep uh, transcatheter tricuspid valve repair system, which you mentioned, for transcatheter repair in patients who have symptoms of heart failure related to severe tricuspid regurgitation. Can you provide a little bit of context or background about the trial? The Triclip system is a tiered procedure that is dedicated to the tricuspid valve, just similar to the mitroclip or the mitrovalve repair. It is a transcatheter edge-to-edge repair that involves the tricuspid valve. As a matter of fact, we actually use the same clip that is used in the mitroclip uh, procedure. The main difference between the systems is the, uh, the delivery system, the way we deliver the clip into the tricuspid valve. The Triluminate trial is studying the role of this device, the triclip device, in patients with severe tricuspid regurgitation. Patients were randomized to receive triclip versus conservative therapy. And uh, just recently, the one-year results of this trial were recently published, which showed excellent safety profile of this device with reduction in the degree of leakage, as well as improvement in the patient's symptoms and quality of life. That leads to a follow-up question I have about those early results. So it did show that there was an improvement in the patient's quality of life, but there was no improvement between the two groups with heart failure, hospitalization, or mortality. So I'm wondering, what do you think we learned about patients with tricuspid regurgitation with this trial? Great question. I mean, obviously, we are still still very early stages in TTVR. And this study, uh, I think, is a step in the right direction. We definitely have a lot to learn in terms of who are the best patients to benefit from this procedure and how we can uh, improve the outcomes. As you mentioned, there was no benefit in terms of mortality or heart failure hospitalizations. However, the quality of life improved significantly, which is extremely important for our patients who as I said, frequently do not have better other options. Additionally, this device has an excellent safety profile uh, with very low adverse events. So the benefit to risk profile of the system is excellent. Obviously, this is still one-year data for the TriClip, and hopefully with uh, longer follow-up and more experience with this device, we will have more uh, conclusive evidence regarding the benefits of this procedure. And so what are the next steps in this trial? So what we know is uh, Abbott, uh, the manufacturer for the Triclip, uh, have submitted data to the FDA for approval. So given the excellent benefit to risk profile of the system, we are expecting approval sometime uh, in the early next year. So lastly, I wanted to ask you about the trick valve trial. Could you provide a brief overview of that trial and the promise that it holds for patients? TrickValve is actually another device that is used to treat tricuspid regurgitation, but instead of directly working on the tricuspid valve, the TrickValve is implanted in the superior and inferior vena cava, and therefore preventing blood from going backwards into the systemic veins. This valve, the TrickValve, can be really a great option, uh, especially in those with difficult tricuspid anatomies, as we don't need to work directly on the tricuspid valve. Many patients with challenging anatomies, for example, if they have a pacemaker lead going through their valve or there's a wide gap between the leaflets, it makes TIR or TMVR very challenging. This is, this is where the uh, advantage of this trick valve uh, come. 
the early results from Europe of this device has been very encouraging, uh, where they showed that patients who underwent this procedure had significant improvement in, uh, in their symptoms and the quality of life. And currently, this device is being studied in the U.S. through uh, the TriCave trial, which Rush will be part of it soon. Dr. Sarati, thanks so much for a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me.